Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour. Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zargis. We're coming to you from a conference room in Central Office, bringing you the latest news in the Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. We'll also inform you of the latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to using technology in the classroom or are a seasoned vet, we are here to help. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. I am here today by myself to continue on in our podcast. And the first thing we'd love to do is welcome you back to the new year. It's been a little bit of a bumpy start to 2018, you know, with um, Snowmageddon happening. And so while I am here in the office recording this today, many of you are enjoying a nice, nice four day weekend after coming off vacation. So I hope you're enjoying your time. In case you missed it, we made another training video that is easy to use with Microsoft Edge. So if you have a Windows 10 laptop, which I hopefully you do, you can use Microsoft Edge to annotate live websites. To annotate PDFs, of course, you'd use Adobe, Acrobat, DC. If you want to annotate a website or a news article on a website, this is a fantastic tool. It can highlight, it can take notes, you can use the touch screen if you've got a touch screen computer. If students have a touch screen computer, they can use it and they can handwrite their notes along there, along with typing notes. You could do screenshots. And the best part about this is when you're done, you can save it to your OneNote. So if you've got students who are using OneNote, this is a great tool for them to use for research. So go ahead, check it out. The video was posted up in this week's announcements. In case you missed it, the latest blog post is up and it's all about this new feature that came out in this year's edition of Brightspace called the Activity Feed. Now the Activity Feed is very much like a social media type tool that you can apply to the front page of your Brightspace course. What's nice about it is you can link assignments to it. You can link content from the content area so that the students know exactly what they're supposed to do for that day. This can be a very handy tool to help keep your class organized and focused on that daily's tasks without having as many clicks into Brightspace as there might be. It could be something as simple as one click deal. So check it out. The post is all there. If you need help installing it, contact us at DLA support at springfieldpublicschools.com. That's it for In Case You Missed It. Coming up next, Hot Takes. So for this week's Hot Takes, as you can tell, I'm by myself for this part, but you will hear quickly Suzanne and Brendan as we continue our conversation on one-to-one. -one. It was a great conversation, and today we're actually just going to finish it up instead of having another interview on there. I'm going to wait till everybody comes back so that we can discuss 
all the great things that teachers are doing that we're able to interview about. From here on out, you're going to hear the rest of our one-to-one conversation, which includes a pretty good theory by me, along with a few crazy outlandish statements. But again, this is our opinion, the three of us, our opinion on the whole one-to-one. some amazing teachers who could probably be doing our jobs. Right. And that's that's a huge part of it too, Mike, is increasing the network of people that you feel comfortable going to within your building. So yes, we're always here and willing to do whatever we can, but seek out people within your building that might be experts in a certain area. And there are a lot of them in this district. Yes. And I know going out and doing all the, I get to be the lucky one to go out and do all the interviews with teachers, and I get to see and hear firsthand from them about the ways that they're using technology with the curriculum, not here is the piece of technology. I don't know what I'm doing with it. I mean, I'm sure I could go and get those interviews too, but we're hearing so many great things that are going on, teachers that are using it for lessons about the history of Springfield or going to... Australia, or there's BFG Skypes, where they're talking to people in London who have gone to the places that they talk about in the book, which just is amazing that we can actually do that. And really, it's because of the one-to-one that we can have these great educational experiences, which help further knowledge and deepen understanding, which are two key tenets, I believe, to Common Core. Yeah, we, there's definitely so many wonderful, wonderful things being done in the district. And that's part of uh, what we want to spread the word about in this podcast is the great work that, that our teachers are doing. They're so creative and energetic and they think of our students first. And that's part of why our one-to-one is going so well, I think. So with some of these articles, they gave us like top 10 lists or top seven lists or top 15 lists where they're talking about like how to be successful. And I don't know about you guys, but as I was reading through it, I felt like I needed to like put a little checkbox next to it be like, yep, we're doing that. Yep, we're doing that. Yep, we're doing that. (laughs) Yes, I felt the same way. Definitely. One of the things I did find interesting, though, is that they kept in each of those lists, they kept bringing up the ability to have move like textbooks and workbooks and all of that, the online versions, or using something like OneNote as a notebook so that they could become a paperless classroom. Because when you think about schools and spending money, there's always that budget where you have to like be able to meet it. And if you're not spending thousands of dollars on papers and copies because you're spending, I think one article or one of the comments, somebody did the math out for the laptops in the district. I think it's like $250 for four years per each laptop, which is, I'd say, I think of that. And then I think about the lost textbooks. I, I don't know if that number is accurate or not, first off. 
But then I think about lost textbooks, and some of the lost textbooks are like $120. So it's like the laptop is worth two textbooks. And a lot of trees. And a lot of trees. So I think the ability to add and use quality digital content, that's something that we've been slowly building along the way. We've, there's a lot of great resources out there, things like Khan Academy or um, Prodigy. I've seen some schools using Prodigy. We've purchased other things like iReady, Dreambox, depending on your schools and stuff. So the ability to use quality materials, I think, is key, too, because, again, it goes back to if you're using something that is not of quality to begin with before technology, and then you just put it on the technology, it's still not quality. Right. And I think, I mean, I'm not the expert when it comes to um, how districts would order textbooks and, and how long they would keep test textbooks for. But just thinking of the textbooks I had growing up through my schooling, you know, some of them were really old and that's not good. I have to believe it's much easier to update an online resource than it was years ago in replacing a hardcover textbook. More up-to-date information and Along with that, in my mind, comes just the automatic opportunity to teach students about um, digital citizenship and the old um, fake news, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) That's not old. That's still happening. (laughs) But, um, you know, to understand that everything they're reading, they need to really uh, decipher and, and, and understand, is this accurate? Is this not accurate? Where did this resource come from? Snowballs into a whole whole slew of ideas. So one of the big pros to all of this is it really empowers the students and it empowers the teachers. There's a lot more creativity that can be used. Students are able to work anywhere. And when they get something in their head, as many children can be, I'm putting it as children because I'm using my children as a reflection of this. When they get something in their head that they really want to learn or do, they do it. And they are more apt to do it if they are given the right tools. So, like, for an example, I know it's not technology as in a computer, but the technology of a bike. It is a piece of technology that has come a long way. It's not the kind, it's not a digital one. Don't laugh at me. But it will make sense when I'm done rambling. That's why I'm waiting. My five-year-old really wanted to learn how to ride his bike. And, of course, our jobs, we are all working. And so the the limited amount of time of daylight in New England after you get out of work is like an hour and a half, two hours, maybe a little longer in the summer, a lot shorter in the winter, and there's snow. And so he took it upon himself to learn how to ride his bike. First, it was with the training wheels with a little bit of guidance. So that little bit of, like, you put your feet here, you push down, see, this is how you move. To the point where by the end of the summer, like, so he had learned to ride his bike this summer with training wheels. At the end of the summer, he was riding it without training wheels and like riding it well. And so I think that comes back to someone who wants to learn how to do something. They're going to learn how to do it. If a student wants to become a cosmetologist, I'm pretty sure that's the name of the people that do like hair and nails. I had a lot of students who felt that way. What would I find them doing when they had their off time and work of working? They were watching videos on how to do things. They were training themselves on how to cut hair. Even though they didn't have someone to practice with in front, they were still learning and gaining the knowledge. So that 
if they had a younger sibling who was willing to sit there, they could do it to them. I'm sure against their parents' wishes, of course, but they could, and they, they would learn if a student wants to become a rocket scientist. But if they want to learn how to do that, they'll spend the time doing it. There's a reason why Khan Academy has exploded over the last five years, and not just with math. But you go on there, there's all sorts of finance, entrepreneurship classes, or science stuff now. And they're even like branching into like language too. That's if you give a student the tool that will help them, they will learn. And that to me is empowering the students. Yeah, Mike, I, I couldn't agree more. I, one of the articles I read spoke about students feeling more empowered uh, around project-based learning with technology, you know, whether it be a bicycle uh, as a piece of technology or, in our case, uh, a one-to-one computer. Uh, studies show that students uh, working more autonomously and were able to research more. Uh, it was said in an article that students often wrote more and received more feedback. So, you know, it's, it's great to see that one-to-one cultivates that kind of critical thinking that we're really hoping and looking to see. And I'm glad uh, you said that, Brendan, because that, the word autonomously um, just reinforces the, the fact that teachers no longer, again, are standing up in front giving a lecture, they're more the facilitators. They're the, they'll guide the students to specific sites, maybe, or give them specific tools, but they're really more facilitators, and the students are the ones that are driving their learning. Exactly, and I think it kind of feeds off of what the students are doing uh, on an everyday basis, right? It, most of our students have cell phones or have access to, to some kind of technology at home. And if they want to find something, or they want to you know, research something, whether it be on Google or, or any resource, we want them to apply that same methodology uh, in the classroom. If they're working on a group project, we want them to feel empowered that they can do research, that they can use their computers to to find, you know, articles or, or resources that may not have been available for them before. So we're really trying to, to build off of those, you know, millennial skills, I'll call them. I'm coining that term that, that seems to come natural to all, all kids these days that, that need and want to learn technology. We want to cultivate that and really uh, enhance it in an educational environment with, with our computers and with our softwares that we're offering the kids. And uh, Brendan, again, I'm glad you mentioned the um, internet access at home, because for those of you who don't know, at the high school level, we do have hotspots that are available to be sent home to students who do not have access. Email us uh, at any time, DLA support, if you're not familiar with that program, we'll tell you more about it. And also at the elementary level, we have Khajiit hotspots available to uh, give to schools for students who do not have internet access was one other point, Mike, that I'm sure you remember of successful one-to-one implementations to make sure that all students have internet access at home. Yeah, and in the day and age that we live in, like it's, we do everything online. If we think of our, our personal stuff, how often do we go to the bank? I mean, for us teachers, almost everybody in this district gets direct deposit. It means that they don't even touch their check and bring it to the bank. The hours that banks run are ones when we're in school. Last week, I had a question that I wanted to ask my doctor. Instead of scheduling a doctor's appointment and finding the time to go, I literally logged into like the um, one of the websites that pertain to our doctor, posted my question there, I had a response by the end of the day, 
a very thoughtful one and what I was looking for to understand. A lot of our socializing doesn't necessarily happen in public places. There's a lot of socializing that we do online. So in our everyday life, we're using these kind of skills where we're using the computer to do business. We're using the computer to talk to people. We're using the computer to collaborate with each other. And where did we learn those skills? We learned through trial and error, pretty much. And then we're now having teachers teaching these skills, these 21st century skills, to students to prepare them. And I think that comes back to like with the way that our one-to-one is being done, like we're using real laptops that students will encounter once they leave the district. And the operating system that they use is very similar to what they'll see in most places because most Windows is still the most popular OS. It's um, laptops generally have that unless there are Macs or unless you're a super computer geek and you've got like Linux or something else running on it. So I think those things are very important to the one-to-one initiative that we're doing and to overall improving 21st century learning. Right. And I think, um, you know, excellent point, Mike, for, for those who may be hesitant to use the laptops every day or on a regular basis, that says it all. Students have access to technology, whether it's it's on a phone or at a job or however they're getting onto um, social media. It's it's our responsibility to guide them, especially at the younger ages, um, to use it appropriately. The whole digital learner license course that uh, that you put together, and just using technology every day. It's within the school day that our our children can ask us any and all questions and we can supervise them and guide them and help them understand how to use technology appropriately because once they graduate then they're where we were learning by trial and error and there's so many negative paths that they could go down when it comes to technology you know let's let's give them all the positive uh, teaching we can now so one of the articles i don't know if you guys printed it out, was um, from the Huffington Post, which is a newspaper at one time that now became a digital news. I don't know if they still produce newspapers, but it was one of the ones that has moved to more of the online form. And in it, they were pulling in from a lot of different articles talking about the one-to-one initiative. And one of the things that they pointed out is that um, one-to-one can really help shorten that gap and i think that's where you were talking about like with the difference of the urban versus rural schools is and the schools that have money versus schools that don't is that statistically shown we can go back and look through the last 20 years of data and see that students in one area are continuing to grow and other students are far far behind and so this is one of the having a computer is one of the ways to lessen that gap and to help move it. So I I thought that was kind of an important thing to know. It's Yeah, very, very important. And I saw something on the news uh, recently about um, just more rural states in this country where people do not have internet access and what a difference that's making in their education system. It's very concerning to me and I don't have an answer, but I'm happy to be (laughs) in a district where we're doing everything we can to provide 
uh, technology to our kids. Another thing from that article is, um, it's just this paragraph really stood out to me out of all the reading, which was, um, for schools and classrooms that are already poorly organized, merely having access to a computer connected to the internet will not improve learning. However, for classes that focus on improving on improving students' writing analysis, research, problem-solving, critical thinking, those same internet-connected computers could be an invaluable tool. Notice what they didn't say. Nothing about academic, nothing about math, nothing about science, but they focused on analysis, research, problem-solving, critical thinking. Those are all things that are higher up on the Bloom's taxonomy. Those are all skills that are very hard to test, but we can you can look at a student's work and see those things happening. And those are the skills that help propel students forward into whatever career that they're looking for. Because if I couldn't problem solve, I wouldn't have the job I have right now. If I was not able to um, critically think about what I'm doing, I might not even be able to drive a car. <laughs> but it's those, those are like the soft skills that we don't test for and we do the best we can teaching and those are the same things that people have been teaching for years. intangible everything that a student learns while, while using a laptop and, and learning differently whether it's project-based learning or uh, self-driven learning it's um, I think that's what makes some teachers worry or causes fear or anxiety is that it's not concrete they might be on their computer for an hour and a half and the teacher might be thinking, all right, but are they really learning? What are they doing? I, want, I need to know exactly what they're doing. I want it to be productive. I want to be able to measure their progress at the end of a certain amount of time. And it's not going to be so black and white. It's going to be a, a, a lengthy process where over time, all of this is just going to be so automatic to students that in the end, they'll, they'll be succeeding <laughs> in leaps and bounds. Um, but it's it's getting through all of that and changing the way we teach across the board from kindergarten through high school that we need to be patient as uh, this happens. Definitely, Suzanne. I mean, it's just interesting because, you know, it makes you think, and I often ask myself, where is education going to be in 10 to 15 years? Yeah. You know, one-to-one seems like such a common thing, or common, didn't seem like such a common thing five years ago and now. Most school districts mandate one-to-one. So I think it's not just a shift in, in bringing technology into the classroom. It's a shift in teaching as a whole. Uh, you know, when you go to schools and, you know, I mean, I, I was in an education program not three years ago. I can't remember once taking a course that focused on integrating education into the classroom, right? And you kind of wonder, with all of this development happening, is that the future of education? Is it that teachers aren't just taught about, you know, education, but they're taught about the infusion of technology as well, uh, especially, you know, as we see millennials become educators? Uh, is that going to become a standard? Uh, 
in the educating of educators. You almost wonder if it's going to have to be a baseline or a criteria for folks, you know? Right. Absolutely should be. I, I think it's probably the minority of schools right now that offer any guidance for teachers to integrate technology for a variety of reasons. And Mike, I think we, we did a podcast on, on that uh, in the past as well. But um, I, I think it definitely has to be there. Yeah, and you know, and I know yourself, and Mike, you were recently uh, a teacher here in Springfield, uh, so you can see it, and you're younger, um, <laughs> so you can probably speak to it better than any of us can. And I know I see it when I go to the schools, but we have such a great diversity of educators, whether it's younger, uh, more veteran. Um, you can kind of see that that clash, or not a clash, but that contrast for teachers who are comfortable with infusing a, a technology into the classroom and those who aren't, you, you just, you know that shift is coming, right? Because our, our students, our kids, our society is just turning more towards digital age, right? As I said earlier, we're, we're in that you know, innovation, innovative age where kids are born with a cell phone in their hands almost, right? So they're, they're, they're coming out of the womb, they're, they're ready to text, they're, they're, they're all about that. And now it's about us. That's our challenge in education that I can see is accommodating that. And, and I wonder, you know, Mike, I'll throw it to you. Do you see that as the future of education? I know we're kind of branching off into a whole new discussion <laughs> here, but it's something we really have to ask ourselves. Is this our adapting with the times, you know, in, in the future? Is this really where we're going to go? Or is this a fad? Because you, you, you see mm-hmm. folks take that attitude. Well... You know, this is what we're doing right now, but I've been doing this for years and it'll come and go. You know, do we do we really need to emphasize, uh, you know, as a society and as a community of educators, that technology is here to stay? With the things that you're talking about, is it a fad? Is it going to change? We've seen education go through fads and in the end they're changed. So I think in some ways... Maybe it is a fad that a school district is providing laptops. Maybe it will be different in the future because, as you said, everyone's coming out with a phone in their hand. Soon it will be everyone's coming out with a smartphone in their hand. And so students nowadays, like I remember with talking with Amy Barron, um, the kindergarten teacher from a podcast a while back, and even Cheryl Ellis, who's a podcast that we'll hear at some point down the road um their students come in knowing how to do things on the computer but they don't know how to apply it like to their schooling they know how to do the touch screen they know how to find things on the computer if you told a student to go find netflix they could find netflix if you told a student to go to amazon they could find amazon like they could find they know how to find things they just don't know how to use it um as uh learning tool. And when we think about fads in education, back before the schoolhouse started, it was kids were all working in factories. We had a whole child labor laws, all of those things. And then we started school. And school was a, you went to the morning and then you went home and you worked in the afternoon. And then it became, as the country continued to to industrialize, there became, you went to school, then you didn't go home, you stayed at school longer and longer. And your day, now a student essentially has a job, and that job is to learn. 
and they go to their job, depending on what grade, if they're elementary, middle, or high, somewhere between 7.30 is when they start to somewhere near 3.30 when they end, depending on what school you go to, depends on your time. And so as we've continued to go through in education, and we've seen fads come and go, a lot of the good stuff from them stayed. And so that's why, let's see, we are 2017. So about 50 years ago, we started to see computers pop up. And those computers were those gigantic room computers that only the really schools who had the money could use them. And they saw as technology improved and costs went down, we saw them integrate more. When I was in high school, almost 20 years ago now, gosh, I know I say that out loud and it makes me cringe. Like the computers that we had in the computer lab were like the state of the art computers, but they were not LCD screen. They were not touch screen, but they still were able to like focus. And so then and use. And so as technology has changed, it's moved its way into school. So I think where the fad of all this comes from is will we still have are there schools that are going to be no longer have school buildings? I think that's what the fad is going to come to. And we're seeing that with like virtual schools now. We're seeing them pop up a lot more. I, again, we're into that. Well, maybe we're, we're stretching a little too far into the future there. <laughs> Mike got a look for me on that one. <laughs> I do understand where you're going. I, I completely do. I'll let you finish your thought yeah. and then I'll, I'll add mine. So, I mean, we're clearly not going to be at that point in the near future, but it's going to happen. I mean, that was the big thing when they first started opening up was that, oh, I don't have to send my kids to school. They can sit right here in front of the computer and get a good education. And so as tools improve, the fad of which I know a few of the articles said the one-to-one fad, um, a fad means it's something that's going to come and go. Bell bottoms were a fad. Surge was a fret. Is it Surge? I don't know. Is that terrible green soda? Yeah, Surge was green, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> it came and went. It came and went. Skinny jeans hopefully will go at some point. Hopefully. That one seems to be sticking around longer. But fads come and go. One-to-one technology is not going to go. If anything, it's going to improve. I was looking at like some of like the future technology things. There's people who have watches now that can, like, shoot out into their arm and, like, be a computer. Like, that's going to be the, like, those are fads. Those things are going to come and go. This computers, we've been using them for the last 20 years. A fad doesn't last 20 years. Right. I think that's that's the distinction that we need to make, that even though um, it is the terminology that some people use, that this may just be a fad, I think it's really just thinking or realizing that laptops or desktops or iPads or Chromebooks, whatever it is, it's not so much a fad. It's just what does that tool look like? It may not be a laptop or a Chromebook or an iPad in the future, but it's going to be something that allows students to learn differently than they did 30 years ago. Exactly, Suzanne. You couldn't have said it better. And and that's kind of where I'm getting at with, with the, the loaded question that I gave to Michael. It's just, <laughs> in education in general, are we doing enough as a community to train our educators to, to be ready when they get to the classroom, to take advantage of this, we won't say a fad, but this new industry, which is education technology, 
because we have such a great, youthful, excited educators coming in all the time. But are we doing enough, uh, you know, uh, in college, uh, educating these folks? Uh, are we doing enough in the district level to to supply them, to, to make them aware of the resources that are available, to supplement this loan? Because study after study shows that, you know, there's a million different ways in which you can apply technology to the classroom to make a student a better, a better learner and to increase personalized learning. But are we doing enough to, to support that philosophy within our educators? And are they getting that support? Because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are, are making the magic happen in the classroom. So, and I do know from a few interviews that I've done with newer teachers, I ask a similar question about what was your college experience like using technology and did you have any sort of like technology in the classroom training? And most of them said no. Like they used online classrooms as a student, but they didn't really have any like teaching of that technology. And I think if I had to guess, there's probably a couple of reasons. One, those college professors have no idea. The more advanced, like the more modern college professors probably would be able to teach that. But I think the bigger overarching thing is technology changes all the time. It's not like you can go and teach a piece of software to these teachers because they don't know if they're going to go to a district that can use it. You don't know if something that's free now is going to be cost money later. And so I think it's really hard to teach the technology integration into in a college course because they, I don't know, I don't know how you felt, Suzanne, going through college, um, like the education part of school, but it was a lot of theory and a lot less practice. And then once I left that college atmosphere, it was a lot more practice and theory jumped out the window. Well, I wouldn't say theory jumped out the window, but uh, yes, I do understand what you're saying and um, what you envisioned as a perfect lesson plan in one of your courses in reality didn't always play out that way, but still very important. And I think if I remember correctly from one of the articles I read in a previous podcast, uh, the reason that so many uh, higher education institutions don't currently have courses specifically to help teachers integrate technology into their teaching is simply budgetary and that if they had to spend money, they would rather focus on the pedagogy Hmm. than integrating technology, even though when teachers are going for interviews, well, I say even so, that wasn't the right right phrase to use Hmm. because in in one example, uh, the principal wanted someone who was good at technology, but when they had to weigh the candidates between someone who was strong pedagogically and someone who was strong technology-wise, they went for the pedagogy. So I don't know what the answer is. Again, it definitely needs to happen. But on the flip side, because I can always flip things (laughs) to a positive, it really forces teachers to model for their students the fact that we're always learning and that nothing's ever going to be perfect. And they have to learn new technology, just like students are going to have to learn new technology throughout their life forever and ever. Everything's going to be changing. So it just forces teachers to do that. You know, they, they weren't uh, taught how to use all these different tools, but they're doing it. Why? Because they want to see their students succeed, and they know they need to, to have this in the future. So I think it's a positive all around. <laughs> I think a lot of technology today and with the one-to-one is that it helps with becoming engaged learners for the rest of your life. Because the simple fact is like when you need to go and figure out how to do something, 
generally, what do you do? You go to Google, go to YouTube, or if your computer is like mine, you could be like, hey, Cortana, how do I do this? Oh, oh hold on. Cortana decided to answer. <laughs> I had to stop that for a second. You ask the computer, you Google it, you YouTube it, you watch videos to learn how to do something, whether it's how to fix a car or how to remove a popcorn ceiling or put a drop ceiling in to how do I do advanced calculus? Like the computer provides us a way that we can become lifelong learners. And I think by doing that, it helps us by teaching the students that throughout their K-12 experience. Hopefully it makes them more engaged learners in college if they choose to go to college and or lifelong learners that they can learn and learn and learn and continue to expand their mind and their knowledge. And yet, even with all of that, it doesn't eliminate the human aspect. You still always need the teacher to teach you how to use technology effectively and to guide you as you learn. There's never a situation where you're not going to need that human being. Can you imagine if you went to like learn how to do long division and the per- person you watched on the computer didn't know how to do it and they were making you make mistakes along the way? Like, I think that's another spot where like teachers really come into this in the classroom is you're guiding your students. I remember there was one project we were learning about all the explorers. And there was this website that a few of the students found, and they're like, this is the best website. It has all the information I need. I know that Christopher Columbus was born in Ohio and that he played basketball. And at that point in my head, as as they are genuinely excited about what they're learning about, I'm like, uh, how about we check another source and see if it matches? <laughs> because it doesn't. And so, like... I still needed to guide them in how to use it and how to do research. And the fact of if you want to learn how to do something, you have to watch multiple videos. You have to read multiple articles on that. And I think that's not something we innately do. We think once we get that answer, we've got our answer. Let's move on. That's why I had a report where a student didn't say they were using that as their main piece of information, but that website was the one that they were using. And I learned all about how Christopher Columbus played basketball for the University of Michigan, even though he was born in Ohio. And then he sailed a bunch of boats around the world and he landed in the Galapagos Islands and he named the platform. It was like all these like clearly wrong things, but the teacher still need, I still needed to be there to help guide. Exactly. And another example to add to that, I just read an article uh, recently of how um, younger students think kindergarten age, um, as you mentioned, Brendan, they're, they're born with a cell phone in their hand or a tablet in their hand, and they're getting very good at you know, zooming in or zooming out and the touchpad and, and all of that. Um, but they're entering kindergarten now with not, not being able to use scissors or hold the pencil correctly, although a lot of kids are still learning anyway when they get to kindergarten. But those fine motor skills are really being affected by the computer use up until that age. So absolutely, we still need all the teachers because those are very important skills. It'll be a sad day if uh, fine motor skills deteriorate based on technology. Can't let that happen. Makes me think of um, the space movie that Pixar did, where like they shipped everybody up to space because the Earth was falling apart. Um, 
and they were trying to use robots to clean it up, but then they realized it was such a bad mess that they just kept them. So they just kept them up in space, and then as they continued to learn, they continued to sit, and they weren't able to walk because everybody rode everywhere. Yes, the movie is Wally. Brendan's trying like, Wally, Wally, say Wally. <laughs> you could have said it. You could have interrupted. Well, but I like, still want to be rude. Like, those skills that I learned as a youngster. Brendan, Brendan's experiencing how we go off on tangents, so we're trying to get back on track. So those skills come in handy. I don't know where I was going because I got distracted by saying Wally, Wally, Wally. So as we are wrapping up this conversation, there's a lot of great positive things with the one-to-one initiative. I think if you were to email any of us and ask us like, kind of like what your negatives were, we are able to respond with, well... That's because that was done in 2000 or 2002. That's where those ideas came from. And this is how we are doing it differently. And so that we can take those things that were negative to those schools who, as Brennan was saying, some of the articles, they were just putting the laptops in a closet and not touching them because it was too overwhelming to like things that we're doing so that those things are not happening. And I think we could all answer that for you um, if you run into those kind of questions. Yes, please do reach out to us. And we're always excited to hear from, from anybody, uh, any of our stakeholders in the school district. So DLA support at SpringfieldPublicSchools.com. We cannot emphasize that enough. And I'll just add, you know, this podcast is all about informing and inspiring. And we've listened to so, so many fabulous interviews with teachers who are just doing amazing things. So... Whether you're still at the very beginning phase of using the laptops in your classroom or if you use them every day and you've got tips and tricks that you want to share, we want to spread all of this great information across the district. So please uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to interview you and inspire more teachers. So with the one-to-one, it's not a silver bullet. It's things that it's not plop the laptop down. As a district, we have provided lots of tools and lots of ways for us to use the technology in front of the students and in front of you as the teachers really well. We are here for you. So that was the wrap up to our conversation on one-to-one. If you ever have a topic that you'd like us to talk about here on the podcast, please message us at DLA support at springfieldpublicschools.com. You could also leave us a message on Yammer. We do have a group, SPS Digital Learning Hour, set up there. Those are the two best ways to get a hold of us. Of course, if you want to go ahead and ski down to our office, you can Come down that way and we can discuss it too. If you are an educator using technology, we would love to hear about it and love to hear how you're using it. So again, if you contact us through either of those ways, Yammer or 
DLA support at springfieldpublicschools.com. We would love to interview you, come out and talk to you about what you are doing, and then we can share that with the rest of the district. If you listen to us on iTunes, please remember to give us a quick review. Five stars is always preferable, but you do what you feel is right. We are also available on Stitcher. We post the podcast also on Yammer. So if you listen to Yammer on your phone, or if you have it on your phone, I should say, you could listen to the podcast just by clicking on it. We are also embedded on Brightspace and on the My SPS We Learn pages, where you will find the SPS Digital Learning Hour. That was a lot to cover next week. Both Brendan and Suzanne will be back, and we'll have plenty to talk about, including some crazy updates with MCAS. So until then, I'm your host, Mike Thomas, and I'll see you next week.